0: There's nothing more frustrating than the uh, the when you're watching a movie on network television and they cut to
1: commercial, and it's eight thousand. Yeah, like I feel like that's a bipartisan issue that Congress could actually get behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, let's cross let's cross party lines here. Let's get right. something done. Right.
1: These commercials are too damn loud. When I was growing up. <laughs> On this episode, we smoke the H Upman Magnum Fifty Six, a true Cuban cigar. Our first and probably last on the podcast. Welcome to Burnline, Burnline Podcast. The burn line on a well crafted cigar is straight and sharp as a razor, much like our wit and wisdom. And welcome to Burnline. I'm your host Johnny Midas, and I'm your host.
0: Nicholas Midas?
1: No, you don't get to be Midas.
0: Nick? I'm just... Can I just be Nick?
1: Yeah, you can just be Nick. All right.
0: Nicholas Midas.
1: No, it's a nickname I got to work because everything I touch turns to gold. So I thought you said Johnny Unitas at first. It's like You're no. slinging
0: footballs now, John?
1: Wow, I can't believe you're old enough to know who Johnny Unitas <laughs> is. So, uh, we're smoking the Magnum 56 by H. Upman. Uh, Cuban cigars so uh, neither one of these are in great condition so just be careful with the with the wrapper they kind of uh, went through a rough patch when they were being stored Um, so hopefully we can get them a a fairly decent review I'm going to leave out any commentary that might be related to you know kind of the deterioration around improper storage um But I also thought, like, this is a really good example to smoke because a lot of folks that can get their hands on actual Cuban cigars in the United States, uh, they might look like this. They change hands a lot. You know, none of the Cuban manufacturers use cellophane, so they're more uh, exposed. Every time someone picks them up, you're transferring oils and all of that. So, I think I've probably smoked. uh,
0: Oh, yours is messed up.
1: Yeah, it's it's worse. I'll give you the, the better one. Thank you. Um, I've probably smoked 100 to 150 actual Cubans in my life. Uh, so not many, uh, but enough to kind of have an opinion um, and smoke all the major brands. Um, we don't typically smoke Cubans on this show. Main reason being we're U.S.-based. Uh, you can't get them retail here. So what's the point, Right. However, in America, everybody wants the Cuban experience just because it's hard to get, right? So, I think it's fair to kind of smoke one up once and uh, we will talk a little bit about the Cuban cigar tradition and heritage and, you know, where we're at and, you know, where's Barack Obama when you need him and all of that good stuff. Um, And then later on in the show, we're going to talk about cigar cutters and uh, bring you some good information on... You know what works, what doesn't, uh, brands to look for, and that sort of thing. So, looking forward to a pretty good, pretty good show today.
0: And I think you mentioned you you had smoked a you know hundred or hundred fifty Cubans. I think that the rule still stands. Very right? good is still good. Uh, you know we're still smoking a cigar, and so we don't. I don't think we're going to be judging these differently than, or much differently than we do others.
1: No, I think uh, obviously the. Um, the risk is that, you know, people overvalue Cubans because, like, in America, like, it was hard to get and I paid a lot of money for it. And so there's, like, that cognitive bias. So we're going to be really careful to, you know, try to judge this the way we would any other cigar we're smoking. You know, it's not a blind taste test or anything like that, but uh, we're we're cognizant of any potential bias. Um, and then I would just add, you know, the, the Cubans that I have smoked are real Cubans. Now, I have smoked some fake Cubans as well, but I'm talking about real Cubans. And I have had a couple of connections over the years, one of whom was a co-worker from Cuba who would bring me back uh, a box every year when uh, they visited their Mimar, whoever was still over there. Mimar? Yeah. Um, and there's some things you can look for to make sure you got real Real Cubans. We we might touch on that a little bit. Uh, we're not. Uh, I don't think we're encouraging anybody to go out and you know stock up on Cuban cigars. But what we are going to encourage you to do is listen to the podcast, see what we experience, and uh, make up your own mind and go from there. So let's talk uh, presentation. So the wrapper is very delicate. Um, kind of a consistent. You know just uh this is what colorado
0: yeah
1: yeah natural yeah, yeah. um wrapper. the band is very classic not super fancy a little bit of raised um design on the wrapper. took like the gold is gold is textured almost yeah yeah um definitely not like the kind of expensive band you see on a cohibo for example uh, but it it it's just like plain and old fashioned. Like you look at it and you think, oh, cigar. You know, nothing nothing flashy or catchy. This is uh, one band.
0: It is, yeah. We see a lot of cigars in this style, especially in the U.S. market, where they break this down into two bands. Mm-hmm. So the Magnum. So it's you know the first the primary band the top band is H Upman. Then it's a Savannah Cuba. Mm-hmm. And the bottom band, completely different color. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a red and it says magnum 56 so usually we see it like with the uh, i can't think of any examples right now but the secondary band usually is is completely separate altogether
1: yeah and the reason for that is you can do a really big printing run on the top band and use it on all your cigars right and then the second the secondary yeah is is like the um that specific cigar or whatever so yep this is a solid band and i would say this is a handsome cigar it's uh just super classic to me like if you think cigar you think of something like this you know it's a natural wrapper you know a little bit darker than than medium brown but about medium brown um it's a parejo it's uh gosh i don't even know what size this is like it's
0: 656 like super toro
1: yeah super toro yeah it's not a gordo but uh it's a it's a Big mouthful, for sure. Uh, this might be the biggest one we've smoked since I've been on. Yeah, I think so. It definitely looks like a big man cigar. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. So why don't we go ahead and give this a cut, and uh, I will go get the ashtray while you clip your cigar. Yeah, might might need an ashtray as a cigar podcast after all. And we have this beautiful hand carved. Burlwood, burn line, ashtray. I gotta do more graffiti on it. I wanna do cartoons of like our two faces. Nice. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Got a lot of a lot of debris coming out today. The hand tap method.
1: Yeah, so I did a side by side comparison test of the hand job versus the blow job. <laughs> and um, so I did the blow job first and then I did the hand job and there was still tobacco left after the blowjob. So a lot of guys, they will clip the end of their cigar, and then they'll blow it, and you know some stuff will come off, some dottle, but it's like stuck in there. So you turn it over and tap it, and uh, the hand job gets more stuff to come out of the cigar. So uh, for those that were wondering, it does actually work better uh, than just a straight blowjob. So keep that in mind when you're, making a decision on how you're going to get that stuff out of your cigar, So All right. Uh, that's a good clip. And as always, we remind you to clip your cigar with authority. No limp-wristed cutting allowed here. Get a nice firm clip so you don't smash and crush the wrapper. And on the cold draw. Pretty standard, I would say. Uh, you know, like that raisins with a touch of leather. Yeah. Yep. Most most cigars kind of taste like that on the cold draw. 1,000% dried oh. fruit, something or other. and Yeah. And it is time for us to light our cigar. The official lighting brought to you by Union Cigar, Hanover, Pennsylvania, USA. And as always, Burn Line is brought to you from the hot box, the smoky back room where deals are struck and fortunes are made, at the Blanco Cigar Lounge, Union Cigar, Hanover, Pennsylvania, USA. So, we're going to toast these cigars. As always, toast it, don't roast it. Toast it, not roast it. Toast it, not roast it. Toast it, not roast It's toasted. I get it. And I am using the Quad Flame Vertigo. I got a, a triple flame here Francisco gave me when he was in town last. Yeah, I like that one. It's the one where the flames are horizontally aligned and they kind of come to a point in the middle Um, i call it a wall flame because they're kind of set up like you know like in a single plane Um, that vertigo does make a three torch but it's the cluster where they're in like a triangle shape and of course it behaves a little differently so uh we are still toasting and toasting we talked about this on our episode about you know lighting your cigar a good a good toast takes a little bit, a little bit of time. I think it's worth it.
0: Guys, you're cheating yourself. If you don't if you don't do this right, you're just cheating yourself.
1: Why take the risk of not lighting it carefully yeah. after you spent this money on the right. on the cigar. So just lazy. On the other hand, I've seen guys that have been in the cigar industry for forty years chew the end of their cigar off jam a Zippo into the end of it, yeah. suck that campfire gas right up into the cigar, and then act like it's just normal and awesome, you know?
0: Take it out of their mouth and they go, hmm, slight sulfur with, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. with a hint of peaches.
1: Yeah. So, uh, to to each their own, but I've found that when I am a little more ritualistic and, and observe every aspect of the experience, I just have a better experience, you know? So, of course, you're... You know, talking to the guy who wears driving gloves and driving shoes and, you know, all of that. So, oh, you wear driving shoes? <clears throat> well, not in the Toyota. Okay. I wear fucking boots. Like, yeah. I've got like the six inch deep WeatherTech mats or whatever in the, in the front. For those of you that don't know, I drive a uh, quarter century old Toyota 4Runner on a three inch lift with the uh, tires so big that uh, they came off like a Hummer or something. I don't know.
0: With a rock catcher on the front. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know, I just had to find something that matched my general masculinity. Yeah. When, when John's here, we know we, every everyone knows, <laughs> uh, 256,000 miles though. And still going strong. I'm really disappointed though. In the new, like the new taco just got like, uh, whatever they call it unveiled or whatever and it is a sharp looking truck and they've got some pretty cool powertrains um but here's the problem the problem is trucks are really expensive now and good luck getting in one for less than 45 um and you can't order what you want from toyota so this gets into like supply chain you know automotive um Basically you can order what you want from the dealership. If your particular unicorn happens to be part of the production run allocation, and if your dealership has the best standing with Toyota, then you'll get it. Otherwise you'll get something else. You know. And that worked when, you know, a Tacoma was twenty five or thirty grand. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, no, I'm not paying you that kind of money right. unless I get the T R D pro with the orange paint or whatever, you know. Yeah, I I've heard more over the past
0: five years about people pre ordering cars. Mm-hmm than anything else it's just i've i i've only been driving for 10 years but i feel like before 20 years ago 30 years ago give it a, a month or two
1: and you get your you know exactly what you wanted yeah well <clears throat> you can from american car manufacturers um all the german car manufacturers and uh some of them like porsche have higher reliability you know anyway, but you're paying for it here in America, but uh, Toyota and Honda in particular, uh, you can't get exactly what you want, only if it matches what they're going to make, so it's worked for them, they're still selling cars, anyway, uh, we've got this H Upman Magnum 56, uh, well toasted, and I'm just a quarter of an inch in, so I think enough to start sharing some tasting and experience notes. The wrapper is uh, what I call matte oily, which is to say it's not shiny with oil. Uh, it's, it's a matte color, but it is like oily. There's a little tactile to it. You can see it a little bit. Uh, very attractive. Um, first few puffs, the smoke output is medium, I would say. For a cigar this big, I think I would expect a little more smoke maybe. Yeah, I kind of would expect a little bit more smoke output from this. Um, I'll say that the draw on mine is the perfect strength for me. Like, one of the things that affects my cigar smoking experience, probably more than, like, I thought it would, is strength of draw. So if I have a cigar where I have to draw too hard, it's just annoying. But if I have one where, like, no matter how hard I draw, there's, like, no resistance, I can't stand that either um well
0: and that has a direct impact on the the burn I mm-hmm. feel like and the you know obviously the flavor and and all that good stuff
1: so it's good construction um not to uh draw a direct comparison but the strength of draw and the smoke the smoke output and volume to me this directly correlates to the uh Perdomo 10th Anniversary, which is a soft box press. Yeah. I think this is packed a little tighter than a lot of, like, round mold, you know, parejos. Kind of like that soft box press. But it's not packed like a, a, a hard box press, right? Uh, so it's, it's interesting construction. You know, I wouldn't say it's superb, but it's pretty good. The uh, burn so far is uh, the burn line's acceptable. Seems to be burning pretty evenly. I noticed that the ash is fairly ashy, a lot of white powdery ash that usually has to do with the age and, uh, really the, the fermentation process, how long the leaf was kind of left to age before the cigar was constructed. Um, you know, after that fermentation at high heat, you know, once you stop that, the nature of the ash doesn't change no matter how long you leave it in your humidor. Yeah,
0: these these pilones are getting up to hundred and ten, hundred fifteen, hundred twenty degrees. After that, sitting in your humidor at seventy, seventy five degrees, you're not. Yeah, you're not changing them much. Yet. Yeah, once they once they cook initially, that's really the the main change. It's interesting because uh, you mentioned time spent fermenting, and I think that Cuba's in an interesting spot with Habanos SA and distribution right now because of, uh, I mean, frankly, a a very high demand Mm -hmm. across the entirety of the world, not just America anymore, but especially in Europe, Europe and Asia, uh, a lot of people are are smoking
1: Cuban cigars now. Yeah, they've done a good job with the brand, you know, and sort of uh, creating this uh, brand identity for Cuba. You know, all Cuban cigars, they're like luxurious and well-made and like the pinnacle of cigar, um, which I guess we should talk about, but some tasting notes first for those of you that are maybe thinking about trying to secure a real Cuban and smoking it, and is it worth it, and we'll talk a little bit about some price point and options on stuff. Um, so my initial tasting notes, first and foremost, there is a a high component of that bitter vegetable taste that comes from not aging your tobacco as long. Um, so I call it morning glory. Uh, that's the name of a vine with purple flowers that just murders your garden up here in the mid-Atlantic. And we used to pull them out as kids and burn them or whatever. And they have a this sort of pungent bitter smell that this reminds me quite a bit of. So there's a lot of that. I attribute that directly to uh, lack of aging, the, the tobacco. And then uh, there's some leather and raisin and I, some wood component. You know, It's just a very generic, woody taste. That's kind of what I'm getting so far.
0: I'm getting, honestly, the, the weirdest thing. It's like uh, dried peach or dried apricot. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the floral bitterness that you described is also right on point but that's kind of what I was alluding to before was that they, I think that Cuba has uh, a tough time aging their tobacco long enough because the demand is so
1: high. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the bottom line there is there's quotas that they have to meet. Um, that's the way that the whole country is run, but the tobacco industry, uh, certainly. And, um, they can't make cigars fast enough to meet quota unless they cut down on the time to produce them. Uh, And that's why um, this tastes the way it does. You know, the... I guess the counterpoint to that would be, you know, there are these brands that absolutely will not compromise on, like, the aging length and the quality, even if it means charging you a a lot for the cigar. Uh, Padron comes to mind, you know. Um, So... I guess this is probably a good, uh, point to talk about, like, the Cuban cigar experience and industry, um, the, uh, I guess open secret among cigar aficionados, people that actually smoke cigars and enjoy them, is, uh, Cuban cigars are not that great. There's some good ones, there's some not so good ones, but, uh, in general, Cuban tobacco doesn't taste as good, um, and the reason for that is they've been essentially over-farming, not properly resting the field, not rotating crops, you know, you need, need to plant some cabbages and beans and stuff, get some phosphates and stuff back in the soil, um, you know, if you want good cigar tobacco, you're not using a lot of, like, neonicotinoids and, um you know your nitrogen fertilizers and stuff like that um and uh the quality of the tobacco it just it just is not as good as some specific regions you know i was
0: shocked when i got into the industry and people were telling me oh it, they, you know they're good you know just as good cigars in dominican and nicaragua even honduras and ecuador and i was like well come on like it's cuba yeah because the the allure, mm-hmm. the myth is so great mm-hmm. um, about about the Cuban tobacco. And I think it comes from, like I was saying to you earlier, I think like the 90s and early 2000s, there were some real stellar Cubans that were coming out. And obviously, uh, even a little bit before that, but it's just a shame.
1: Well, and also there was a lot less competition. Right. You know, you had that cigar boom in the late 90s. Before that, you know, your options were pretty limited. And if you're comparing like a gas station cigar to a a Cuban punch, um, there's no comparison, right? So the contrast made them even better, right? So the tobacco in Cuba in general is not as good. I think Nicaragua is producing the best tobacco in the world right now overall. Um, However, the uh, Pennsylvania broadleaf grown by the Amish is world-class and the San Andres uh, Mexican tobacco also uh, makes a fantastic, fantastic wrapper leaf. And both of those regions have been working very hard over the last 10 to 20 years to uh, make excellent and competitive tobacco. And, of course, uh, Dominican Republic continuing to make uh, a lot of really good tobacco um You know, in my experience, the Dominican tobacco is milder than the Nicaraguan, um, retains a lot of that floral aromatic element that is common to Cuban tobacco. Uh, So that's one challenge with Cuban cigars. Uh, The other one is um, a lot of the skill left Cuba, the skilled bunchers, the skilled wrappers. money, Yeah they are getting paid more. Oh, a lot more. Yeah. You know? Um, so, you know, during the political upheaval over there, uh, a lot of the important folks in the industry left and took their skills with them. Uh, one of the sort of initial um, immigrations happened to Dominican Republic, which is kind of how they took over as the new cigar capital. Um And then it's been, what, maybe a quarter of a century since Nicaragua started its ascendancy in the business. Um, And that's partly because they have some really varied climates, you know, and microbiomes where you can get so many different types of tobacco leaf and flavors out of, you know, one country. And it's, I mean, it's It's a real estate game, too. It is, yeah.
0: It's not, you can't you and i are not going into washington dc and opening up a tobacco field mm-hmm. there's there's no room mm-hmm. um and so like cuba was well known for this and they had you know a lot of fields established but nicaragua like was relatively un, untouched until 25 30 years ago
1: right un unfarmed right. land available right cuba's an island and all their farmland is farmed you know they're they're uh, full up um and then I think the last element of Cuban cigars that everyone needs to pay attention to is uh, the price. Yeah. There are some luxury products coming out of Cuba that are just painfully overpriced. Um, the Bahique comes to mind. You know, a lot of people are familiar with that. Um, there's a little bit of marketing hype there with the, what is it, the Velado that they use in their... Uh, in their cigar, um, I it's think the BK is, is gorgeous. It is a gorgeous cigar. It's beautiful. It is superbly constructed. Uh, it's well blended, uh, but is it worth $300? Not even close. Uh, you can get a cigar that's a wonderful experience for 30 bucks that matches it, you know, one-tenth the price. You can get an entire box for $300 mm-hmm. where the
0: cigars are just as good.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's another problem with a lot of the Cuban products is you know they're they're positioned and priced as luxury goods and uh, people buy them for the same reason that you know they buy BMWs or Mercedes is you know for uh, brand positioning and kind of showing off with your buddies and stuff like that but that doesn't mean that you're getting what you paid for right
0: well do you do you attribute the high Cuban prices to like the mon- the monopoly that the Cuban government has over cigars in Cuba? Like these are the only Cuban cigars we offer you, right? There's no competition here, it's just us.
1: No, I don't. I contribute to the fact that they're way more capitalistic than they pretend to be. Oh. And the market will bear those prices. They they sell everyone that they make. Um and it's you know, we talked about the other week, like Altados owns half of SA, yeah. you know. So and they're pretty fucking capitalist, right? I'm sure they have to get a return on their investment, um, and people are paying these prices, you know, for them. And, you know, there's, there's part of, uh, part of me that, you know, I'm a little annoyed because if you smoke a cigar at that price point and have that experience, then you're getting a wrong picture of what the cigar hobby can be like, because you don't have to spend that much to get just as good of an experience and, uh. You know, in my mind, if it if it costs me hundreds of dollars to smoke this cigar, then the $9 cigar is probably a, a fancy cigarette, right? And that's just not true. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's
0: it's it really is unbelievable the quality that we can get here and even in Union Cigar Hanover, right. uh, North America's only Blanco Lounge. But for – dude, there are cigars out there that people claim are the best cigars I've ever had at $6. Mm-hmm. And like they're not crazy. Like this cigar they they're talking about is good.
1: I think the I think the Blanco um what is it? Family Reserve. Yeah. The Primos uh Family Reserve. I think it's around $9. Yeah, Primos Estate, the Estate Selection. Yeah. Primos Estate. Yeah. yeah. Um and it's made with that special, you know, special stock Placencia. Yeah, yeah. You know, family uh family stash tobacco phenomenal cigar we'll be, we'll, At the price point hard to beat least you should be able to get Dave on a
0: podcast here in the next month or two Dave Blanco
1: yeah that'd be really cool I, I love his uh his stuff like he's definitely got the palette for blending you know there's there's a few guys out there where I'm like this guy knows his his stuff I might not have the same palette but he knows the stuff with Dave I think I also share a similar palette so I really enjoy the Blanco uh, products. And the BG Reserve. Great. Yeah. We, we, really good. We have to do a show on that one. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah, that's a higher-end uh, stick that's totally worth it. So that's a little bit about Cuban cigars. You know, if if you're out there and you're into cigars and you think of, you know, Cubans in America, you might think of it like your holy grail because, you know, you can't legally buy them. Um hate to burst your bubble, but they're just cigars and... I've had plenty of cigars from Dominican Republic, uh, Nicaragua that are just better cigars for far less cost. Um, and hassle too. And hassle yeah. if we're talking about Cubans. I, I t- I tell folks absolutely go out of your way to get a real Cuban yeah. and smoke it. Like yeah. you have to do that at least once. Um, you know, there's, there's ways to buy them online. Um, you know, if you know somebody who is from Cuba or has family in Cuba, you know, or if you just go there yourself, um, you're allowed to bring back, I think, three boxes through customs before it raises a red flag. Um,
0: I've heard people talk about, like, duty-free on cruises and stuff. Uh-huh. Is that true? You can also get Cubans in, like, international waters or that port stops along the way in uh, the Caribbean?
1: I will tell you that every single Cuban cigar I've ever seen – at port stops in the caribbean while i was on cruises is not a real cuban every single one i have yet to find a real cuban uh, outside of cuba at tourist traps Mm -hmm. not to say that you can't get a real cuban you know in the bahamas for example but uh, i have never seen one you know that little guy with his cart or whatever you know on the dock waiting for the cruise ship to land right Um, as far as the ship itself i've never been on a, a cruise ship that sold Cuban cigars. Um maybe that's cuz they were all US based and maybe right. they're not allowed to I don't know. I don't know how all that works.
0: I've never been on a cruise ship period so I wouldn't know either. I just I've heard people talk about it.
1: You're not missing much. It's like a giant uh giant city that floats, but uh gross. And there's no escape. You can't get and out. And you can't escape. <laughs> yeah. And like the the ratio of rednecks to not <laughs> oh. is like too high you know like rednecks love cruises apparently uh all the ones that i've been on and i keep going on them so apparently i'm one too so um but yeah like actually getting one that's not a counterfeit like first of all there's a, a huge difference like counterfeit cubans are hot trash um you know they they have to make a profit while trying to rip off bands that are hard to copy and packaging and stuff that's inefficient um that's why there's such a market. Like, you can go on eBay right now and find, like, you know, Cohiba boxes, like real ones, and get good money for them. And half of those are being bought by counterfeiters that are reusing the box. Um, So, a lot of folks, you know, they'll smoke a fake Cuban. And sometimes they'll convince themselves, oh, this is an awesome cigar. Right. And half the time they'll be like, this is hot shit. Why am yeah. I smoking cigars, you know?
0: A lot of times time they're short filler sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. It's not all 100% long filler right. premium leaf. Yeah, it's, I, I've i had one or two knowing that they were mm-hmm. fake, and it's, uh. they're kind of, I mean, they're kind of disgusting.
1: Yeah, I had one a couple of months ago that uh, I could tell from the taste that it was Dominican tobacco, and I could tell it was Seiko by the flavor and the way it was burning, and I'm trying to develop that part of my palate and experience, um, and I'm pretty sure I know the like where it was grown um and it, you know it wasn't a bad cigar Domin- Dominican tobacco and cigars are pretty good and they're even close to the Cuban experience a lot of them yeah. you know like that piloto uh, leaf um which is what this cigar was uh, so it was a it was a pretty decent counterfeit um but if you if you've been smoking cigars long enough you know you can even tell sometimes like oh yeah you know yeah no, I, I can tell from the spice. Like, this is definitely... This is Nicaraguan tobacco, right. you know. Well, like you said,
0: I think Dominican tobacco is closest in profile and flavor to Cuban tobacco. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whether that's the proximity of the islands or the fact that they brought all the seeds over when they were <laughs> starting. Yeah. You know? It's the same shit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the uh, the classic Cuban experience with cigars is light, floral, aromatic, but strong. Like... Uh, you know the difference between the difference between tobacco that uh, the smoke is robust versus strong tobacco in the sense of like it's got a high nicotine kick. You know that's the difference. It's like the the Cuban smoke is pretty strong, but it's light. It's not thick and heavy, and that that's kind of. If I had to say here's here's what sets Cuban cigars apart.
0: And they don't really they don't really do Maduros either. Mm-mm. Right? There's they're all natural. They don't they don't do Connecticut shades as well. Like all Cuban, you know, authentic Cubans are hundred percent Cuban, you know, Puros. Mm-hmm. All Cuban tobacco and the, it's just a good sun grown, like natural color.
1: Yeah. There's a few, uh, like Cohiba has a a uh, Maduro they released recently. Um, you know, there's a few, like, specialty, but that's not what Cuban cigars are known for, and when people go to buy a Cuban, like, they're looking for that, you know, that Claro or Colorado, you know, color, um, just a regular, grown-out-in-the-field, regular old, natural-wrapped, sun-grown, uh, cigar, and, yeah, the, uh, the smoke is light, uh, floral, aromatic, really, um, if you want to get a good experience of like the classic Cuban cigar uh, in America, the Casa de Cuba, which I think is a Fuente product, yeah, yep, it is, is a really good imitation of like what the Cuban cigar experience is.
0: Oh, that's right. That's what I wanted to uh, talk about on this this episode. Is Cubanesque, mm-hmm. right? We we think of the word Cubanesque, and I get oh my gosh, once a day, mm-hmm. once you know five times a week, people mm-hmm. come in. Hey, do you have any Cubans? No, I'm sorry. I, you know, unfortunately, I can't sell Cubans. Uh, you know, right now, the government's shuffling their feet on it. Right, and they're like, "All right, well, what do you have that's similar?" Like, "Oh man, come on." <laughs> yeah, are you shitting me right now? <clears throat> and so you got to kind of scramble to find um, AJ. AJ makes a good one called Diaz de Gloria. Yes. Yep. And it is actually, I believe the name Diasta Gloria is Days of Glory, is in reference to the the glory days of Cuban tobacco. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cuban esque is a big thing that. Like in in the industry that we teach, especially in the retail side, about like you have to know a couple because people are going to ask. Yeah, there's one yep. constant in this industry, and people
1: are going to ask for Cuban shit. Yep. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, like I said, the Casa de Cuba. There's a few others. Um, I actually think that most of the Fuente products are really similar to uh, Cuban cigars. Um, they tend to have that you know, aromatic and floral element. They don't smoke too heavy. Um, So those are pretty classic. And then there's like the two we mentioned, there's a few that are like intentionally trying to mimic that experience. Um, So I I guess I'm an inch in or so on this cigar. Uh, The flavor hasn't changed much. Um, It's enjoyable. I like it. Um, But let's do the ultimate test, which is if you didn't know what this was and you smoked it, how much would you pay for it here? in uh Hanover, Pennsylvania. Like solely solely based on flavor. Yeah, like if you picked this up and you smoked it. Yeah. And you know, you had you had to guess a price point right. in the humidor. What uh what are you thinking? Cuz I've got a number in my head immediately. Uh without qualifying my answer $6 to $8. Okay. I was going to say 11 and that's partly because of the quantity of tobacco in it. Um I'd say this is like a good $11 cigar. So,
0: I tend. So this is me now qualifying my answer. I tend to stay away from um, like fifty-two and above, fifty-two gauges and up. Mm -hmm. So I don't really know too too well what. Like I don't know how this is compared to other fifty-six gauges, Mm -hmm. um, and stuff like that. It you know obviously it's gonna the flavor profile is gonna differ vastly from a, a 50 gauge or a 48, or 46. Right, right. So if this is comparable and, and good to other 56s, then uh, yeah, I, I can see that, you know, 1011 is fair, but...
1: I don't well, know. that's kind of what, you know, your... this size cigar is kind of going for right now. Um, but I think, you know, the reason I asked that question is I'm I'm trying to help our audience understand the value proposition of smoking a Cuban. And I could have an experience that is just as good, or better, for about eleven bucks uh, in the humidor. Um, but you're not going to pay that for a Cuban cigar. You're going to pay much, much more than that uh, here in the United States. Um, so, I think that's the uh, you know the what really sticks in my craw. With Cuban cigars, is they're overpriced here in the United States, and and it's not by a, it's not a little bit. Like I think Placencias are overpriced as well, but they're not overpriced like this, you know. Yeah, and
0: I think you hit on it earlier. Look, they, they push the limits of the market, yeah, know, knowingly, yeah. And so they say, "Oh, you spent twenty five on this cigar? What if we charge 30 like, Yeah, with that sinister smile. Right. Right. We're going to do it. We're going to charge $30 for this.
1: Bunch of pirate capitalists. Yeah. All right, so we're getting uh, getting some good smoke off of this H. Upman Magnum 56 and uh, sharing our thoughts on Cuban cigars, Cuban tobacco, and the market. Um, and uh, let's switch over a little bit to talk about cutters. So we've talked about uh, cutting your cigar and uh, wanted to talk— briefly about some different kinds of cutters. You know, we talk about when you're uh, clipping your cigar, you know, clip it with authority. You know, there's nothing worse than seeing someone slowly squeeze their cigar to death and the wrapper pops and, you know, all of that. And getting a good, clean cut is an important part of smoking your cigar. So when we talk about cutting your cigar, there's really three options. Beyond that, it It starts to get weird and fancy, but that would be a traditional straight cut, a V-cut, or a punch, a hole punch. So I'm going to get the obvious out of the way. You know, a lot of um, cigar accessories include a hole punch. I have this Vertigo lighter, which is my favorite lighter. We'll do an episode on lighters later, Um, and it has a built-in hole punch in the bottom. You can get this a lot. So this hole is just a little bit shy of a quarter inch. I'm gonna go with five millimeters. What do you think?
0: Yeah. Are these the same size? Should be.
1: No, yours is six millimeters. We're comparing our holes. We're comparing our holes. Yours is bigger. Um so here's what a hole punch is for. A hole punch is for a hard box press where if you you know clip the end, you might get past the cap because the cap on most of your hard box presses doesn't really come too far down the down the stick. Um, that's really what it's for. The problem with the whole punch, in my mind, is uh, it it affects the burn and flow of tobacco, where you know the uh, you're getting a lot of smoke through the center, right, which is the least flavorful part of the cigar. Um, and so there's a really big risk of tar buildup as well. The bigger the ring gauge, the worse experience you're going to have with a whole punch. So if you've got that little, you know, 4850 ring gauge box press, use a hole punch. You'll leave your cap on. You'll be fine. You start to get bigger than that. You're going to get tar buildup. You're not going to be getting really the smoke profile that you need to really taste that cigar. And I'm kind of going to leave hole punches at that. Nick?
0: I also I strongly recommend a punch for a sweetened cap um, to keep the cap as as most intact as possible. Uh, because a lot of the flavor from a sweetened cap you're looking for in the in the mouth feel and by you know v-cutting you take obviously a a small chunk by straight cutting you take a bigger chunk but by punching you keep most of that sweet cap on there uh, thereby
1: maintaining the sweetness of the cigar awesome Um, and then so uh, v-cuts i'm just not a fan like i know a lot of guys that they like a deep V-cut or a V-cut. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is, again, you're not getting the full flavor profile of the cigar. Two, you still end up with some tar buildup. And uh, three, I've seen with the deep V-cut, I've seen people go past the cap on that. And then you're you're just messed up. Like, you can't fix it. With a straight cut, if I mess up, I can clip it again sometimes sometimes. Um, but I just don't. I don't understand why. I understand the need for a hole punch. There's situations, like you said, with a sweet cap or with a narrow ring gauge box press where it makes sense. Um, but the cut, I kind of don't understand. And that's just where I where I'm at on that. The V's are just for the contrarian. It's mm. just
0: like the guy that like doesn't want a straight cut like everyone else. Um, I think that, a lot, and a lot of guys here, and in our Gettysburg store, use the V. Um, and they like uh, they'll do the deep V, like you said, and then um, and they even do the cross, which I forget what they call it, where they clip it at ninety degrees. Yeah, yeah, where they intersect the two V's intersect at ninety degrees. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they call it a something or other. Um, and it, it's super popular. I know you and I are both in the camp where we always straight cut our cigars. Yeah, so. There's a, there's something to be said, I think about the concentration of flavor, like you said, from the, the punch that comes out of that, of a little, little, you know, exit, all that smoke is, is shooting through there. It's gonna, there's gonna be some tar buildup. And I think even with the V, uh, you, where you run that risk as
1: well. Yeah. I've, I've had that happen. Um, very rarely do I have tar buildup in a straight cut and that's usually cause I was smoking it wrong. Like I'm outside mowing the lawn and i chug, 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 chug for five seconds, and then I let it sit there and let my slobber run down into it, you know. So uh, that brings us to straight cuts. Um, So your classic, your, your sort of classic straight cut is called a guillotine cutter, and it has a blade that moves in a fixed plane orthogonal to the cigar, and the old school guillotine had a single blade, and I don't see a lot of those anymore which is which is really a true guillotine. Is a true guillotine. The single blade is the shout out to the French. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> stick the uh stick the neck in the hole and yeah. down comes the blade. Um and one reason that you, you that it's rare is the opposite side can get crushed. And if you have a traditional, you know, single blade guillotine, clip it with authority. You know, we always say that it it always makes sense you don't want to crush uh, but you have more of a likelihood of crushing that way. Now, there's a, a similar uh, cutting method that's a lever, uh, just like a paper cutter. You know, you've you've seen those like it's a, a flat tray with a big chopper blade and you slide your stack of paper under it. Um, this is actually what they use in the cigar factories when they're uh, rolling their cigars. You stick it in this, it's almost like angle iron. It has measurements on it. I know what you're saying. That's uh, when they cut the foot. When they cut the foot, right? Yeah, yeah, And then you just snap the lever down. Good to go. But if you watch them, they slam that lever down. You know, (laughs) no pussyfooting around. No. Um, And you get a nice clean cut. Um, Interestingly, on the foot of this H. Upman Magnum 56 that we're smoking from Cuba, I actually had a tail. And that happens when you don't get quite a clean cut at the end. And you get just a little little sixteenth of an inch flap hanging off the end Um, so uh, the most common by far is the double guillotine and this has become the industry standard it's got uh, two sliding uh, blades in a fixed plane orthogonal to the cigar and uh, there is a lot of options out there so we're going to jump right into uh, guillotine cutters And I'm going to talk about three that I own. The first is a Perdomo double guillotine that uh, came in a set with an electronic lighter. It was $50 for the set. And it has a closed back. So cutters with a closed back means that you can jam your parejo all the way in and clip it and you get a perfect clip every time, right? You're not taking off too little or too much. And I I smoke a lot of Parejos just because that's what most of the cigars I smoke come in. And uh, I really enjoy my Perdomo cutter uh, for those. But when I have a Figurado, I'm stuck, right? Especially a Torpedo. The only option is to clip it like four or five times, at which point, about half the time, I end up messing up the wrapper. Because it's just not designed to take that much abuse. Right. Yeah, the the ba- the... Straight cut
0: the guarantee cutters with the backs. It's like a like a foolproof foolproof way to you know ensure you don't mess up your cigar. Yeah, um, which is really nice. And we teach the where you lay down the cutter on flat on the table and you snip it that way because mm-hmm. it, it, you know it simulates an artificial back. Yep. Um, this is like the same thing.
1: Yeah, the table travels with the cutter. Yep. Yep. Um. So that is that's on the higher end of uh of cutters um it's very well made and very sharp it's a great cutter i have another higher end cutter right here this is the craftsman's bench double guillotine this retails for twenty nine ninety nine. um decently substantial uh feel in your hand it's all metal uh, i've got the black and gun metal version i think they also come in all chrome um very sharp well made i like it it's sleek yeah, it has an open back though, so I use this one to cut my uh, Figurado cigars. Um, but I would recommend this one. Um, the only like quibble I have with it is I feel like the blades are too loose for the price point. Yeah. Um, the deflection out of that plane um, determines the quality of the cut. So if the blades are wiggling around a little bit, you know you're more likely to mess up the cut. I feel like for thirty bucks, it should be a little tighter i do like that the blades are not super loose so like if i hold one end and flick my wrist the blade doesn't shoot out some of them just some of them just shoot out yeah right yeah yeah like this vertigo so this is the very bottom end you can get these on the counter of most cigar shops this is like if you forgot your cutter right and it's plastic with metal blades you want to leave this in your golf bag yeah, yeah. Something that you're gonna leave like I have one of these at work. Yep. You know, just yeah. just in case. Um and these sell for like five or six bucks. So they're they're pretty affordable. Um don't recommend it. So the the blades just aren't sharp enough and I mean there's already like damage to the blades. I've never cut anything but a cigar with it, but you get like a stiffer piece of tobacco and all of a sudden the blades folding over, that's ridiculous. So I I think it's worth Upgrading to a, a sharper, nicer cutter—you um, don't want to ruin a ten-dollar cigar with a six-dollar cutter, right? Yeah, and, and cutters are one of those things where if you make
0: a good investment, they can last. Mm-hmm. And they can last uh, actually quite a long time, like if you take care of it. I haven't—I haven't quite figured out yet, though. The—I would love to be able to sharpen the blade, take mm-hmm. it apart, sharpen the blade, put it back together. Mm-hmm. Um, and not a lot of them are like easy not per se to do it.
1: You can't even take the blade out of right. a lot of them.
0: Yeah. Um, Which I, I just saw Steve Saka is actually coming out with one that's designed to let the consumer sharpen the blade.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That, that's really thinking about the dedicated cigar enthusiast. You know, a lot of a lot of us are just going to buy disposable cutters, you know, uh, because we're not that into it. Um, but for a guy like me, like that would be super cool you know. And that brings us to the last cutter we're going to talk about, which is probably the most expensive, which is the Zycar X1. And this one is like a butterfly. So it's shaped like a, I don't know, like a rounded arrowhead pointing towards the floor. And there's a little lever in the middle that pops your blades open. um, And they they spread apart with a spring like a butterfly. That's why I call it a butterfly cutter. So it's like a double guillotine, but it's lever instead of uh, s- traveling straight up and down uh, towards the cigar to clip it. Um, here's what's good about the Zycar X1. Very high quality steel, very sharp, will last you forever. Um, and Zycar has a very generous, like, repair policy if something happens. I have one of these that is a limited edition uh, out of, I think they made 300 of them. To celebrate Fuente. Nice. Has like the Opus X, uh, like, uh, I don't know what you would call it, filigree. Yeah. Uh, Just the design in it. And the wings are bone. Oh. So this is like a rose gold finish in the middle. It's very beautiful, and it was like $300, and I just bought it because I liked how it it was gorgeous. Well, that's uh, the thing too,
0: especially because we're talking about the most expensive one on the table here. Five hundred dollars for a cutter, they're out there. Mm-hmm. They exist, and people like will collect them. People will, like, I mean, there's some of them are have
1: diamonds on them. Gold, yeah. they're gold yeah. plated. Yep, uh, the Zycar X One is probably, I think the the limit of like value of getting your money's worth. Uh, I think they run around sixty bucks. I think they're worth it. Uh, they work really well. Some guys don't like them because uh, just the way that like you use it in your hand um, i that I don't understand they seem pretty easy to use to me. Um, the downside is they do come apart so uh, there's a few different models and and they have like the x1 and the x2 and stuff like that and they've been upgrading it over the years but in particular the pin that holds the lever in the middle that locks and then pops open the blades, that will come out over time. It'll just loosen up. It's no big deal to put it back in, and if you really fuck it up, you can send it back to Zycar and they will fix it up nice and send it back, but then you're out of cutter for a few weeks or a month, um, but I think that's probably on the upper limit of my, like, you're getting your money's worth. After that, it's all vanity, which is okay. You know, if if you want to collect really nice and expensive accoutrement for your hobby, go for it. You know, I can buy uh really expensive, awesome golf clubs and uh, I'm still going to suck, you know, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so uh, that is your call as a consumer, what you spend your money on.
0: Yeah. And this is a, you know, this isn't, this isn't a podcast for practicality. Obviously mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to give you the practical option, but we're also going to give you the extravagant option. And there are certainly.
1: St. DuPont's one, you know some of these companies that have really extravagant cutter uh, yeah, options. Yeah. There's a guy down in Texas that makes single sided guillotines by hand out of Damascus steel, and they're like two or three thousand bucks. And if I had the disposable income, I'd probably get one because there's nothing else like it. Like it's literally yeah. the only one on the planet, custom made for you. Right. You know, it's kind of like a like
0: razors. You know, we're guys we're sitting around razor blades like Mm -hmm. you can shave your face with a pick yeah like you'll be fine totally yeah but like you want to you want to buy that like
1: you know uh rare wood handle yeah like your straight razor with so i have a straight razor with an elephant ivory tusk handle right right that was made in france in 1914 (laughs) and i found it at goodwill and spent like 12 bucks on it and like you have to buy it you can't not buy that you know uh, I don't shave with it because I like my face. Um, and until we get a sponsor, you'll never know who I, I use to shave my face. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's totally, you know, like this is a hobby. Um, I, I think what I want to do is inform people what you're getting. Other than that, it's up to you. So, you know, if if you're spending a lot of money on a custom Zippo lighter, good for you. But yeah. I will tell you ahead of time, you don't want to suck that campfire gas into your cigar. Right, You know? He, right. As long as you're informed when you make that choice, right? Or you know, we'll tell you about the you know, hey. These are the
0: common defects. These are the, sure. these are the common issues with them. Yeah. It's it's you know it's about education. We're here to we're here to try to you know keep you guys informed and tell you what you're
1: doing wrong. You're all wrong. Everything's wrong. 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 We got to start a new segment on that. Wrong. So the those are some uh, cutters I wanted to go through. I think my my go tos. Um, I don't know who makes this cutter for Perdomo, but having a double guillotine with a backstop to me is an important choice for my Parejos because it's so easy to get a perfect cut and it's a high quality cutter that just snips the the tobacco. I've never crushed a cigar or anything. And then, uh, my craftsman's bench is, uh, my open double guillotine for my Figurados. Those are my choices. I do have a couple of uh, cheap cutters and they stay like in the glove box and at work and stuff like that. There's a place for them. Um, and I pretty much shy away from, you know, I've got the hole punch in the bottom of my lighter for the rare time that I have, like that 1501 Ruby, great cigar. Uh, definitely hole punched that, right? Um, and I don't V-cut, so that's that just is what it is. Um,
0: I think we talk about like, you know, toast it, not roasted um, and and cut with authority. But just because we, we say these things doesn't mean that they have to be difficult. Mm-hmm. Right. So like this back, I'm looking at the, the cutter with these backs on them right now. And like this is a foolproof, like easy way to make sure that you're doing it right. Right. And it's not like, honestly, cutting my cigar when I use this is a mindless thing. Yeah. yeah. Be- because it, it's made like the tools built in to make it easy for me to do it right and so like if i can remove that stress from the process
1: yeah absolutely yep i like that uh drew estate too it's got like a cigar rest built in that's Mm kind of cool yeah looks like it's seen years of use and it's still sharp so must be well built oh yeah so uh let's get back to this h upman magnum 56 cuban cigar the first cuban episode for Burnline. Um, and we'll give some of our final thoughts and, and tastes and wrap up, you know, what, uh, the Cuban cigar smoking experience is. Uh, I will say that the carrier, I always call it the carrier flavor or the carrier note on the cigar is still that bitter floral, um, garden, garden vegetable, green pepper, morning glory flavor. Um, no spice whatsoever on this cigar, not a touch of spice, um, Leather and oak, I think, are the other two main flavors. It hasn't changed much. Um, The construction was good on mine. The smoke output was not what I like. I like a little more smoke output. Um, No real feel to the smoke. It was just there. You know, it wasn't textured. It wasn't creamy. It wasn't chewy. It was just there. Um, Overall, an enjoyable, uh, like, mindless smoke. Like, I don't have to pay attention to it. It's just there. I could be doing other stuff while smoking this. I probably wouldn't go out of my way to make this an experience other than the fact that they're hard to get, right? Which is a shame. Which is a shame. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I think so, too. I think there's cigars that I smoke f- when I want to smoke for
1: the sake of smoke, and this is one of them, unfortunately. Yeah, like, I feel like, a, I feel like a cigar. This is the one I would pick up. Yeah, and I think it ties into our overall assessment and, like, the education we'd like to pass on, which is that... Uh, you know, it for, for people that are really into cigars, you know, it's an open secret that Cuban cigars are not that great. Um, and I think this is a good example of a cigar you'd have to go out of your way to secure and you're going to spend a lot of money on uh, for an experience that is kind of mediocre. And that is sort of the uh, Cuban experience in a nutshell.
0: And I think that's not to say like if, you you know, be grateful if someone's giving you a gift. They don't mean they don't mean offense, right? If they're giving you a gift as a Cuban, a, a Cuban as a gift, um, and there are some gems out there, mm-hmm. some real Cuban gems that are just excellent. Um, but like generally speaking, the way that people, yeah, talk and think
1: about Cubans is just not. It's it doesn't add up. So top three Cubans. Speaking of gems, um, my third would be the Cohiba Bahique. Wonderful cigar, not even close to worth the price, though. Here in here in the state, and really all over, just the retail price, uh, it's overpriced by like two hundred dollars. You know, I was choking when they were charging eighty-seven. Now they're damn near three hundred. Um, not worth it, but a great cigar. Uh, number two for me would be the Siglo Six, which is also a Cohiba product. Um, I like it better than the Bahike. Um, also overpriced, and my top pick would be the Partagas. Serie D number four, uh, perfect size, amazing smoke, and genuinely affordable. Um, I think I paid like 13 bucks yeah. for that stick. I mean, it's been a while since I bought them. Everything's more expensive now. Um, but to me, like, that's a genuine Cuban, where it's a real cigar at a real price point for real smokers. But it's the best example of Cuban tobacco and tradition and craftsmanship. So there's some good ones out there. And you can do your own research online and, uh, you know, see what you might like and, and give them a shot. But if you're stuck here in the United States with our um, Nazi government that won't let us smoke whatever we want, um, just know that you're probably not missing much. And you can have a really great cigar smoking experience with Dominican tobacco and Nicaraguan tobacco and Mexican tobacco and American tobacco, and you'll do just fine.
0: It's like the the Cuban cigar smokers and the hippies join up and are chanting legalize it. <laughs> right, right. Right. You know, we're all working towards the same right. goal here. Yeah. I mean, I like the, uh, yeah. The Serie D number four is really good. Um, Hoy de Monterey, double Corona and, uh, like Romeo Y Churchill or short, short, short Churchills
1: are also really good. I hate when the damn hippies are right about stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, those are some good picks as well. So if, uh, you know, you want, want to go find a Cuban to smoke, maybe start with that list. Um, probably skip the Bahike and the Ciglo because I just don't think that you're going to get your money's worth. Um, unless it's like, for me, it was a bucket list thing. Like I'm, I'm going to smoke one of these. Um, and if you have the disposable income, if you don't sell a kidney. So I think that's a wrap. Uh, Nick, I appreciate you coming on the show today to, uh, smoke this Cuban with me. Uh, thanks for sharing the smoky treat. For all of you guys out there in the internets, thanks for joining and we will see you again next week. Goodbye, everybody.